0: Alright, as, as offering is being, uh, as offerings being received, we're going we're gonna to start in a brief message, because let's be honest, you guys want to eat. As soon as you walked in, saw food, you were like, yeah, let's get through this. Four of you were really excited. It's me preaching instead of Jamel, because that means it's slightly shorter. It might be less biblical and inspiring, but it'll be shorter as well. Well, th- this week I, I was meeting with some friends for, for coffee, because that's what I do all the time, and, and we were sitting and talking about church, and talking about what church really is, and a few of my friends are, are uh, they're in their 60s, their kids are 60s and 70s. The kids are more my age, and their kids are staying home on Sundays watching sermons online and and there was an honest question of what is church? Why do we go to church? What what does it really matter? And and I was saying that uh that I get it. If you go to church for a message, you can get fantastic messages at home. Like that's right, Anna. Or you can come here and listen to Anna preach. And you can come say hi. I haven't seen her yet today. Come here, baby. And uh, everybody knows this is my Anna. And so you can online pick up great messages, right? There's pastors all over the world who give great sermons, who you can listen to them preach and learn about the Bible. And if your goal is to learn just about the Bible, that's a great way to do it, right, Anna? You want to go nine-night? Okay, go sit down, baby. We can go nine-night in just a minute. And then, if like we talked about last week, we come to church to experience God through worship, through music, right? Now, reality is, if it's only to experience it through music and to, like, sing along, I do that in my car. I'm in my car, and I'll tell you what, when I'm here, I sing Matt's part, which is, like, pretty quiet, and it's kind of melody-ish, you know, I'm in like the key of D-ish where no matter what they're playing. But in my car, I sing George's part. I do. I'm like, one church. I got that part. I've got all the runs, everything. Everything that everybody sings. I sing them all. I go falsetto. I go D. It doesn't matter. And I know you do too. Like every one of us does that. We play it real loud, and then we sing along, and often I experience God that way. So if it's just about the music, we can do that in the car. If it's just about the preaching, we can do that like with a cup of coffee at our kitchen table, right? But this church was planted. This church was started because we experience God through life together. This is where I find God when I'm next to you. And I can't do this by myself, in my car or at my kitchen table or anything else. I miss out what God has for me when I try to experience him just that way. And so we're going to look at this for just a couple minutes, experiencing God through life together. Let's go to the very beginning. Genesis 2 starts off this way. And and there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're not going to touch that we can sit over breakfast in a minute and talk about if you want. But starting in verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man... And put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But here's the big part for us right now. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All right, this is, this is before sin entered the world something wasn't right. I don't think we realize that. I think we usually act like they ate the fruit and then a problem started. Before sin entered, God was like, there's something that's not right. I'm walking with man. You notice man is not Adam yet. He doesn't have a name yet. He does, he's not known by a name. A name is very meaningful. He's just man. And God looks at it and he says, it's not right yet. It's not good that he's alone. Now, God's walking next to him, so he's not actually alone, right? Genesis 1, we have a creation narrative. Genesis 2, we have a creation narrative. You line them up next to each other, and if you try to get them to both teach science, they seem confusing. They are teaching us what they're intended to teach us, which is much different than what we want to learn from them. And in Genesis 2, we see that our life is full when we run next to each other in line with God. That's the point of this. It's not good. Before sin enters, when everything's perfect, it is not good for me to run alone with God. And if that's before sin, then that's definitely true after sin. I've got friends who are like, no, it's just me and Jesus. That's a lie. (laughs) If it's just you and Jesus, you're in trouble. Because you need, like, as soon as we come to Jesus, we become a plural, we become a part of all y'all, we become part of we. And so if it's just me and Jesus, something's off. Now, this word helper has tripped us forever, right? This helper language in in the original, it means person who contributes to the fulfillment of a need. It's not a lesser role. It's a we are not whole until we're right next to each other. And so God looks at man and says, hey, it's not good yet. And he makes something that will complete man and woman is made. And all of a sudden... It's finished. We we see in, in Genesis 1, the other account. We see this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Were made in his image. Not just men are made in his image. Women are made in his image. Mankind is made in God's image. And once Eve is made in Genesis 2, you see that it's in the process of recognizing, in the process of man recognizing that it is not good for him to be alone, that he's finally called Adam. And as he's called Adam, Eve is made and he's like, whoa, life is different. And God looks at it and says, behold, this is very good. What I've made is very good. When, I, when there's a community of people and God walking beside them, with them, near them, and within them, it is very good. That's where we find life. But just two chapters later, right, just one generation later, there's this question of, am I my brother's keeper? One generation later, and they're already like, what, what are you talking about? Why do I have to look after him? Separation and privatizing of spirituality begins right there. Last week, we, we talked about experiencing God through worship, and my pastor said that, that this worship is a personal thing, and it is a personal thing, but it is never just about us as an individual. It is never just about just me and Jesus alone isolated from everybody else. That's a different gospel. We change it when we believe that. That's a limited gospel. It's a limited gospel i believed in for a long time where it's about me and mine and all i look out for is me and mine if that's where we are that's a different jesus that's not the one that we read in scripture because when we become new in faith when we put our faith in jesus what happens is we become his and about his kingdom and all of a sudden we are about his people we are a family and we're in the family business, which the family business is reconciliation. That's what it is. He says there's a ministry of reconciliation. You go find people. You tell them they belong to me and they belong with you. And that's what we're to be about. That's what we're to do. And here, here the waters can get a little bit muddy, right? Because for generation after generation after generation, we have not been about reconciliation. There's this book. That, that was shaping for me by this author named Angie Krog. And it's about South Africa. I began to understand what's going on in the United States when I started studying South Africa and getting out of my own place and realizing, oh, this is a story that isn't brand new to us. This is a story of brokenness all over the place. And Angie writes of, of what was going on in South Africa during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. She said, people have no state or relationship that one would wish to restore. There's never been a day that they wish they could go back to. So it's a lie to say that we should go back to that. So she says reconciliation does not feel like the right word, but rather conciliation. There's not a day to go back to where they were living this right. And I think that's one of the things in our culture that we need to talk about. There's not a day in our history where we can point back and be like, if it could only be like that day. No, I think we go back to Genesis 2 and say, if we could only be like that day, that's where we go back to. My pastor reminded me a couple of weeks ago of this, of this concept that Angie mentions and she writes about. Our Archbishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa talks about that his people live into this idea of Ubuntu which is this collective culture that we don't really get. He says that my humanity is caught up and inextricably bound to yours. I'm bound to you. I am human because I belong, because I participate, because I share. A person is a person through other persons. And I'm not me if I'm not a part of you. And as soon as I separate from yourself... From the collective, as soon as I'm not a part of all y'all anymore, I don't know who I am. And so if I want to truly be me, then I have to be reconciled or even dare be reconciled, to you. I've got to lay everything down and, and do the hard work of extending mercy and understanding justice and letting forgiveness take place so that we could actually be one. See, the thing about Ubuntu is it was in a place where they had to face oppressors. Ubuntu was what happened, and they lived into as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission brought people who had killed family members of others into the same courtroom, and they said, hey, I am guilty of what you said, and then they embraced at the end of it and said, well, now you're my family. You killed my family, so now you're my family. You killed my father, so now you're my father. Because I'm not me without you. And as we look at what we're walking into, maybe we should learn of some of what happened in South Africa and say, okay, we need to live into this idea, not like appropriate it, but like live into this idea and say, maybe we can learn from other nations. Maybe we can learn from other people and we can learn to say, hey, I am guilty of this. Will you make room for me? And allow forgiveness to happen and actual reconciliation to happen. Maybe we can live back into Genesis 2 and realize that I am not me unless I am next to you. And I cannot see God unless I am next to you, looking at you, seeing God reflected in you. This is how healing is brought. This is how we recognize they were brought together. That's how Archbishop Desmond Tutu says it. I, I want to show you real quick, turn to the screens, how my sister, Miss Diana, says it. This, this is how she speaks of this very idea.
1: Hi, I'm Diana Jackson and I just uh, thank God first for this opportunity to share what uh, God has done for me since being at One Church. I want to go back to um, how I landed at One Church. Um, Matt and I actually have a mutual friend from Southeast and we were invited to a conference and. Um, Gosh, on the night that I met Matt was here when we had, you all had race privilege um, form and it was extremely, extremely heavy for me. But I want to go back a little farther. Um, I used to belong to a church that was predominantly a black church. I moved to Arizona about 10 years ago. And prior to going to Arizona, I had a conversation with God, just letting him know nothing else mattered except for where I was gonna worship. So I said, God, once I get to Arizona, if you direct me to where I'm gonna worship, everything else will be fine. Well, lo and behold, God speaks, God showed me things, and I landed on a church that was predominantly white. Now here's where I'm gonna be honest. I said, God, quit playing. I do not play all the time. God said, this is where I want you. And again, I said, God, quit playing. It was something so foreign to me because I was at a predominantly black church. But being obedient and just, and being honest, I don't even know if it was obedience more than curiosity. But I did what God said do. And I was there for 10 years, and God showed me, first, heaven is not segregated. Um, Secondly, that we all are striving for the same things, love. Um, So I just left Arizona, I'm back in Louisville, and then God planted me at another church. And um, I love the church. I, I grew immensely in that church. Um, But God, knowing his children, I moved and was in a different location. So, I was no longer, felt committed to that church, so then gave me the opportunity to visit one church more. Mm. And then that's when I began to realize, I really began to see Jesus for who he was. And I can say this, I've said it to numerous people. I can't say I would've walked away from God, but I can tell you had I stayed where I was, I would've walked away from the church because I constantly heard that God is equal and he loves us all. But I saw no one dealing with the issues I was dealing with. No one saying, I know the struggles you've been through and I know um, we're here, we're helping you. want to talk about this it's not foreign we this exists and i'm gonna love you like christ loved you and that's what i see that's what i feel that's what i want want to live out i want to live like one church is living what i saw when i came here which is the love of christ i almost literally see jesus here and i want everybody to know like he loves us all equally and it's it's really unexplainable it's precious it's it's true it's who jesus is and it heals it delivers it it allows us to have hope It, it it takes away all the mess that we have going on it's jesus which is here at one church
0: she can preach right we see Jesus here, and that's what we hope for. There, there's this chunk of scripture that I, I want to ask you to write down into your phone or something like that. Jamel, bring it up. I'm not even going to read through the whole thing, but uh, Ephesians two thirteen through 16, read the broader chunk. I just want to pull out a couple things on this real quick and, and get to communion, get to feasting together and celebrating what God has done, but there's a few things that Paul says in here. He says that Jesus is our peace, which is significant to me. He didn't, he didn't uh, give this to somebody else to do. He didn't outsource this one. He didn't delegate peace. He's like, I'll be your peace. He knows how desperately we need peace, and he's like, I've got you. And peace will be defined by me. We won't let people taint this one. I am. I am your peace. He says that we're, we're both far away. But now we're one. And at the time that he wrote this. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But I challenge you. Ask the Holy Spirit what he means by that now. Ask what he means by. You were different. You were coming from different spaces. But now you're one. Ask God in your own time Lord what who is one now because I see I think we see a small portrait of that right now that from different backgrounds from different spaces no matter where we're coming from we are called to be his now we're called to be one now but here's the thing the one that he talks about is new it's not that he said that Gentiles are now Jews it's a brand new thing, and this is significant for us because when we come in here, we're not saying we're a church that anybody can come to as long as you are culturally white. We're not saying that. We're not saying anybody can come here as long as you are culturally black. We're not saying that. We're saying come in here with your culture, whatever it is, we're going to celebrate your culture, and we are going to be plugged into the one who is our peace, who is Jesus, and that's it. And if you're wandering towards that, and if you're curious about him, whether you believe, don't believe, wherever you are, there's room for you at our table. And you don't have to change up your culture, watch your words, do any of that kind of stuff. Just come here. Come be with us. And it's not about the preaching. It's not about the music. It's it's about when we're together, somehow Jesus is in our midst. He said that where two or three of you are gathered, there I am. And we're just silly enough to believe it, right? He goes on and he says, he says that we're reconciled to us both to God in one body through the cross. And the cross means something. Because he, Jesus is not our peace because he never experienced anything. He's peace to those who've suffered because he suffered. He's peace to those who felt loneliness because he's felt loneliness. He can identify with you if you feel distant, afraid, hurt, all of those things. He knows that feeling. He went to the cross and, and it is our peace. To me, that means he, he made room for those who are suffering, those who are aching, those who are oppressed, those who are hurt. And this hostility that we see on the news, that we feel walking through the streets, this hostility, he speaks a lot to that. Whatever your background is, he says that this hostility, the inner disposition, objective opposition, actual conflict between nations, groups, and individuals, this dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. There's no excuse to build it back up. The wall is built, uh, torn down. This hostility has been killed. There's no sense that we can't live into this mutu. That we can't live into this, I recognize Jesus in you, and I'm better living next to you. There's no sense that we have to live into all of those lies. If, if you are here, if you're seated at the table, you are my sister, you are my brother. And I'll live, live as if that's true. Amen. I'll listen to hear the voice of God within you. And hopefully we'll have moments where we say, behold, that... That's my Savior in you. That's my Jesus in you. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. I come lacking courage. I sit next to you and I lead more courageous. Why? Because God gave that to me through you. I walk in. I, I'm, I'm lacking faith. You give me a hug. All of a sudden I have faith. How did I get that? Through you. The Holy Spirit gave it to me through you. So we feast next to each other. What communion really was was this big meal, this celebration of God delivering his people. And the first time that it was shared, Jesus broke some bread. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And they had no clue what that meant. And honestly, most weeks, I don't know that we know. He said, my body is broken for you. And and so every time you break this bread, remember me. Remember that everything that I said is true. And he took a cup, and he passed the cup, and he said, drink of this. And every time you drink of this, remember that it is my blood that was shed for you. Remember that everything that I said is true, that you're new, that I'm your peace, that you're not living in lack. He just wants to preach. It's okay. This semester, we're going to intentionally spend a lot of time. People have been asking, what's next? And we're going to spend a lot of time around tables together. This is us practicing right now. This is what we're going to be doing. Uh, Josh Jones is getting some college, some people together who are going to host college students. Josh is right there. He's waving right now. There it is. And and so we we need people who are interested in hosting college students and, and want to be like a home for them. We have one other thing happening. Aaron, if you'll come up. One other thing happening, and then I promise we're going to feast on communion together, okay? But we have something else called Dinner for Seven that's beginning. This is Erin. You know Erin. She's going to talk for a second about that.
2: Hi. um, So I wanted to share a little bit about an experience I had last night that kind of brings us to where we're at right now. Um, So I'm Erin. I'm 24 I'm just starting grad school, and that's the space where I'm at in life. And last night, I had the opportunity to be invited to the Brooks home to sit with Martin and Susan and Matt and just have dinner. And I know you might be thinking, well, that's all a bunch of white people. But (laughs) there's some difference there, right? Because I'm 24. (laughs) Like I said, I'm just starting grad school, and I'm sitting with parents, who have daughters and sons older than me. I'm sitting with a dad who has kids in elementary school and has five of them, right? Five, six, five, five, too many, you know? And I had this wonderful moment to sit among people that were different than me and learn from them. And I took away, there was this beautiful moment last night where I got to share that this past week has been hard for me. I've been feeling with my friends, and I've been trying to use where I'm at to share some perspective with friends who look like me. And I got some pushback, and I got to share, you know, I'm I'm receiving this pushback. And Martin (laughs) got to say, well, I've already been through some of this. Why don't you read this chapter of this book? Why don't you have this conversation? And it was everything I needed to hear in that moment. And that, to me, I think, is what communion really is. It's sitting around the table. It's being with people. It's learning from one another. It's growing from one another. And it's just willing. It's it doesn't look like a Bible study. It doesn't look like a church. It just looks like sitting. And so, today is kind of a launch into an invitation. Um, we want to start having these dinners for seven, where people just meet and just hang out in their homes, in their space, you know. And so this is my invitation. If you are interested in hosting a Dinner for Seven, a few of us want to host you. And so if you're interested, you come see me. Oh, there's a sign-up. We've got some sign-up sheets. We'll, we'll make sure that those are around, um, passed around. So if you're interested in hosting, I want to have you in my home. We have some friends that want to have you in their home. So go ahead and sign up. Because this is where church happens. I don't know. Very good?
0: <laughs> good. All right. So here's what we're doing. There is tons of food that you have smelled. And you've been so patient. Children, you did better than your parents. We're going to feast. And we're going to have communion with each other around the table. Get to know some people. Know their names. Um, and let's just experience God together, okay? So let me pray for us. And then we'll receive communion. If you feel more comfortable with traditional communion, it's at the back tables, okay? You can do that as well. We got room for you. All right. So let's, let's pray here. Jesus, thank you that you are our peace. I thank you that all hostility is torn down, and thank you that I get to see you in my brothers and my sisters. Thank you that at my worst, you make room for me at your table. And with all the challenges we face and all the circumstances we face and all the doubts that we feel and all of the mixed beliefs that we have, we celebrate right now, and we feast on things that we don't even fully understand. Thanks for being good faithful. Bless this food and this time. your name. Amen. Amen. Church, be the church. They're passing. Food's going to hit your table. Eat it. Serve each other. You can start with donuts and fruit. We got eggs and everything coming out towards you.